Hello and welcome to the Media and Marketing Podcast. My name is John Reynolds, the host. This week we are talking about the Ozone Project, the joint digital sales initiative between national news brands as they look to combat the challenge from Google and Facebook. Uh, so we're joined by The Guardian's Hamish Nicklin, Ben Wormsley from News UK, the publisher of The Times and The Sun, and Paul de la Nougarade from The Telegraph. Thanks very much, gentlemen. You are all very welcome. Perhaps to start with you, Hamish. In my intro, I described the Ozone Project as a response to the dominance of Google and Facebook. Is that how you would describe the Ozone Project? And secondly, why should advertisers be particularly excited about the Ozone Project? So I, I don't think we would necessarily would describe it as that, actually. I mean, I think one of the things we want to be clear about is this is not us trying to take on Google and Facebook or anything like that. If anything, it's a response to the market. So for quite some time, we've been talking to the market about saying, what is it that you actually want from publishers? And it was very clear from all the conversations we've had over the last few years, and of course you'll have heard about them from initiatives such as Juno to Rio, all these things with other names. What was clear in all of those conversations was they wanted, the market wants uh, an easy way to, to buy our premium brand safe environments at scale. And so that is something that we've been you know, trying to work on, and that's the, one of the driving forces behind Ozone. The other aspect of Ozone that you didn't mention in your, in your intro there is what's the most public-facing piece is what you've just talked about there, which is the fact that we've pooled our data and our yeah. inventory to be able to buy. The other thing that we're all quite excited about is the technology piece that it okay. gives us. Um, and so, you know, there's another driving force to it. So to summarise, I wouldn't say it's necessarily there to take on the likes of Google and Facebook. You know, they're, they're far too strong in their levels of data. It is a response to the demands of the market to give them easy access to scaled, brand-safe, um, first-party data that's consented. Uh, Okay, so we'll drill into all the detail, but just in a nutshell, what's the fundamental difference about what, what's it bringing to market, what's new? Obviously, advertisers can buy inventory across all your various websites now. Is it, is it not just a quick way of doing this via a centralised buying point, or I guess you're going to say it's a, the data proposition as, to, uh, as well? Yeah, I mean, I'll let the others dive in as well, but I mean, I'd say that the, the fundamental thing here is it's access to all of our scaled brand-safe premium inventory, but the really key thing here on top of that is the data. It's the fact that we're pooling our data to a shared DMP, data management platform, mm -hmm. that will allow us to have consistent taxonomy yeah. so that when we create audience segments, they're consistently defined and named. And so it's actually easier to buy those because you know what you're getting at scale across all four publishers. And that's a, that's a really powerful incentive. Okay. And how does that... The data compared to, say, the data that avatars get from Facebook and Google. I mean, from Google, you can get loads of data, can't you? Search yeah, data. so the, look, one of the things, again, we're, that's why I said right at the beginning is we're not trying to okay. take them on. It's because we'll never take them on and beat them at the level of data they've got. They've got search data. They've got all their browsing data. They know so much more from Chrome. Uh, same as Facebook. They've got all of that data. that We're not trying to take them on with that. But we know that our data compares incredibly favorably with some of the third-party data providers that do exist in the marketplace, where perhaps the, the levels of consent or the, 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 the provenance of that data isn't quite so assured as it is from us. And I realize I've been talking too yeah. much, and we've got ben, Paul and Ben here. Yeah, well, we will so, ben. so maybe, Ben, you can give us a bit of an update on what you've launched then, have you? I know you had the, the, um, the big showcase in Cannes when you announced it, but have you actually launched the Ozone we have, yes. So uh, th th I think, you know, as Hamish said, there are two really important parts to, to Ozone. And one is that technological foundation. And that's something 
know, th thinking about what we're trying to achieve here, uh, we think that the way the programmatic marketplace is developed over time doesn't serve the best interests of the three constituents we care most about. And actually what we're really focusing on is serving the best interests of, of advertisers, of mm -hmm. original content creators, and of consumers, the people who read our content. And that's really where we started here. So we're not thinking of, you know, should we be taking on Google, Facebook, or anyone else? We're thinking, how do we create a better environment for for those three for those three groups, the, the people we, we really care about. So that that really is based in technology, which I think is one of the main differentiators here. And that technology is built okay. and it's live, yeah. uh, and we're really excited to see that actually come to fruition after working on it for um, for the last eighteen months. Um, and the other aspect is the is the media and the data proposition that you've talked about. So yeah. the, the combined data asset, the ability to transact at scale, um, and the ability the ability to access data and a taxonomy which is far deeper uh, um, than any single publisher um, would warrant um, creating. Mm. And, and that's live and we're, you know, we're very excited to be live with our, with our first campaign um, uh, as we speak. Who's that with them? I'm not sure I'm at liberty to say. We're not, unfortunately. Not on this no. podcast, it's not going to be a big reveal. But broadly, what's been the response from the advertising community and media buyers then? Well, I think there's, a, there's fantastic recognition of the data asset that we're, we're creating here. This is something that historically, if a buyer wants to access that data, then they can go to publishers individually. Uh, that data that a publisher has, that very unique first-party data, which has right. recently certainly increased in value, uh, not least because of, of GDPR, but a recognition right. that publishers sit on, um, on really <coughs> unique and valuable data sets. That's been confined to in individual PMPs. It's structured quite differently. PMPs? Uh, private marketplaces, yes. I beg your pardon. And, and that means that a buyer has had to create a, uh, a sort of almost an ill-fitting patchwork quilt of data which might be constructed quite differently from one publisher to another. There are certainly cases where that, that depth of, um, of data set makes sense, but actually what this creates is a completely new product, which is the ability to access consumption, content consumption data at vast scale consistently, and that doesn't exist anywhere today. Um, until now, and okay. I think buyers have, have really recognised that value. Okay, Paul, turn to you now. The Telegraph, one of the founders of the Ozone Project, I guess listeners may be thinking the Telegraph and the Guardian, kind of politically different extremes. I mean, is, is, that, is that a difficult decision to go into bed with the, with the Guardian or not? I mean, in the past there has been a rivalry, hasn't it, between newspaper but maybe it's a bit more collegiate yeah, these days. Yeah, I think, I think in, in the past, certainly, but I think the challenges that publishers face now I think we've all realised in the last you know, two years or so that we're much better working together to solve some of these challenges. On the commercial side, we still absolutely have all our differences, perhaps on the political spectrum, but commercially, our challenges are all very, very similar. So actually, you know, we're much better off working together. I think the publishing landscape is, is so fragmented. I think a lot of the, the, you know, the challenges that were put back to us from the buying community was how difficult it was to deal with such a fragmented landscape. Mm. And I think by working together, you know, we are answering the questions um, that have been put at us for why money has perhaps gone elsewhere in the ecosystem. Okay. And it's not and I think the point there is it's not the first time that we've ever collaborated on yeah. stuff. You know, we've been we've been collaborating on things for years, whether that's through the NMA, whether that's through Newsworks, whether that's through PAMCO, PATS, you know, ABCs. We we do invest in things together. Um, editorially, of course, we will always be completely separate and independent and, you know, uh, competing with each other. But, you know, it's not like the first time we haven't sat around a table. And not all being a success of them. I mean, you mentioned Project Juno, uh, yeah. which is a similar type of collaboration across print, which I think the Telegraph pulled out of, didn't they? Uh, I mean, that, that, that failed to materialise, didn't it? Or, well, well, 
look, I think the reason that those first few iterations failed was because we were going, we we were we went massive with those first versions. Okay. We first of all we tried to get every single publisher we could talk to to be involved with it, and we tried to do, you know, right. set up a company that had so many different parts to it. It was print, it was um, digital, it was branded content, it was our trade marketing teams, it was you know setting up and combining all of our different types of assets, which was just too big a, a step to take. Okay. Um, and so you know this is the most sensible and obvious area for us to collaborate. And publishers are solving, uh, just every publisher is solving the same challenge mm-hmm. independently and in some cases that really doesn't make sense to do that. In some cases there's value and consistency and in other cases you need to um, to highlight your differences, your editorial tone, your, the audience you're speaking to. There is no point in recreating the plumbing several times over and creating different uh, differentiation in that. We've, our predecessors were collaborating on, on printing. Mm-hmm. Why should this be any different in a, in a modern day digital world? Okay, now the, the, the male, um, obviously not here today, they're not part of the Ozone project. Presumably you wanted them on board. I mean, what did they say? They just wanted to, they weren't happy sharing their data with you or, or they may come on board in the future? Or? Well, you know, as we talked about, we, we've been collaborating certainly through the process and the discussions that we'd worked, um, we'd worked on through the, the Juno discussions. And at the end of that, we decided that we wanted to collaborate in the digital space. And the, and the, the publishers that were remaining through those discussions and started that were, were those that, that are here today. We, we, we would love other publishers to adopt the Ozone project. Mm-hmm. We think, you know, going back to the point that publishers are solving the same challenges independently, if we can create consistency in the technological framework, then there, there is value to the creators of content, to advertisers and consumers. And so we would welcome other publishers in. There are two different aspects to it, as we've mentioned. One is the technology, which I think mm-hmm. you know, we really want to make that yeah. open to everybody. There are media and data alliances that can be built on top of that, that and we have to decide whether that's going to add value to, to buyers, to, to bring that into a, a, a coalition of some media and data. Um, and we certainly welcome other publishers in, uh, you know, news publishers, certainly I don't see any reason why we wouldn't invite them into this. So the mail have been asked and have said no for the time being, have they all? We're speaking to lots of, lots of news publishers. Okay, and this is, I mean, it's open to, to magazines, to magazine publishers. I think Sue Todd from um, CEO of Magnetic has, has, has said magazines haven't got no plans at the moment to join, but perhaps that will change in the future. Well, I mean, I think, you know, let's, let's remember that there are two parts to the Ozone project. The first part is where we as news brands have decided to pool our data and our inventory. Yeah. And the second part is the technology platform that anybody can plug into and, you know, and, and, um, and use. Okay. So, of course, if there's a publisher out there that has the same sort of technology challenges that we face, yeah. which frankly is anyone who has a website and produces content and plugs into, um, you know, supply side platforms in the programmatic space, okay. then, you know, Ozone Project, that part of it is definitely something that we would want the, them to talk about um, with, with, with Damon and team. Okay. So, and just to be clear, all, all your inventory is open on the um, Ozone and you're not holding any of it back at all? No. It's all, it's all, it's all in there. Okay, so you mentioned Damon. He's from a, a tech background, like I guess all you guys are. Can you just talk a bit about? You talked. I mean, you touched on all this foundational technology. Can you just explain to me in, in lay language how it works? Yes. Yeah, so we're building something. Uh, so this isn't lay language, but it's a, a it's, a, it's unavoidable. That we're building a header bidding wrapper as the foundation, and that's built on open source technology called called Prebid. Right. And so Prebid effectively is an interface with uh, that enables publishers um, publishers websites to accept programmatic demand. Okay. Um, at the moment, a publisher has a couple of options when looking to adopt that interface to to enable programmatic demand, and and that's to go to a technology company mm-hmm. that are very happy and want to put uh, code on pages on publisher pages, 
or to build their own using this open source code. Both of them have inherent challenges. On the, on the first side, if it's a technology company, then that technology company owns all of the, bid, the bidding logic and data that's happening on that site, which we believe is the, is the proprietary data of publishers and certainly um, it is where a lot of the value lies in, in a publisher's data. Okay. Alternatively, you can build it independently based on open source code, but that's extremely uh, uh, labor intensive. And if it goes wrong, then it's, it's difficult to fix. And actually, in that case, it makes more sense to have somebody independently build it, free from any of the commercial bias. And that's what Ozone aims to achieve, is to create that interface, that very thin layer of technology, which enables publishers to better engage with programmatic advertising, with exchanges, with supply-side platforms, okay. uh, and, and control the terms of that engagement. And, and Ozone does that, free from any commercial bias. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, you know, that, that investment in that technology layer is, is, is actually quite a big investment. It's not something to be taken lightly. And I think, you know, uh, as, as individual publishers, we, we've all been going down this route around and getting to the point where we want to do that investment ourselves. Mm. But it makes much more sense for us to collaborate and invest together in that technology to get us to kind of, you know, where we want to be, um, you know, in 12 months' time, 24 months' time in terms of the transparency of the data that goes through the bid stream. Right, I think I understand this. So the backdrop to this, there has been a long-standing discussion about transparency transparency of the supply chain. I think we often hear these quotes about 70% in the advertiser's pound disappearing before, before reaching the media owner. Uh, given that the revenue is lost to the vast number of intermediaries and ad tech vendors, can you, each of you, can you, um, where do you think most of the revenue is currently being lost? And which of these will the Ozone project be able to cut from each trade? So is it going to the, I mean, which of the intermediaries is, is most of this revenue going to at the moment? So let's be let's be just <clears throat> very clear on that bit about that seventy percent piece. So um, it was actually at a MediaTel event two years ago when um, I remember being on a panel and saying that we right. bought our own inventory yeah. and we discovered that from time to time only thirty percent pence in the pound was actually getting to us. Okay. Now the whole supply chain is very very large, all the way from advertiser to publisher. Yeah. What we're not talking about here is the demand side. So we're not talking about the bit that goes from advertiser yeah, yeah. to agency to agency trading desk to DSP through to SSP. We're not talking about that bit, right? We're talking about the bit that when we point our money at yeah. the SSPs, and then what happened from there to the the publisher. That's where we were talking about with that seventy right, seventy okay. events. So I just want to be clear about that bit. Okay. And that's the only bit that really we can comment on because we don't have any visibility yes. on the demand side. So <clears throat> where we were seeing it then, and um, I just, I, I'm just trying to be careful about how I word this, is obviously we had quite a public um, sure. uh, legal um, dispute about what we thought was going on in that space. Okay. Um, I would argue now that from a Guardian perspective, right. majority of the money we... That has forced us to change the way that we work with our intermediaries. It's forced us to be much yeah. clearer about the contracts and be more defined about what we expect from the partners that we have in the middle there. Yes. Um, and we feel that what that's done is it's given us much more visibility and much more transparency in not just the data, but also how the money flows through. Meaning that whilst you can never be 100% sure you're getting yeah. every bit of money that you should have, we feel more confident um, that it is cleaner. Now, you then suddenly discover, like we heard about a couple of months ago with bid caching, yeah. you know, there are, there are activities and behaviours that are going on in that supply chain that you don't know to contract for because you don't know they exist. And so these sort of things will probably always be there unless you own your own technology. And that's one of the reasons, as Paul was saying, that we sort of said, OK, well, let's take control of this this part of the supply chain and, and therefore we know that we can be transparent. 
I think, I think that's a really important point, is, is, is this control, because mm-hmm. you talk about all the intermediaries you mm-hmm. know, in between, but actually it's so opaque, we're not actually very clear where you know, you know, some of that money goes to. So by taking control of the technology stack and us being able to, to shine our own lights on it because we own the whole layer, means that we can in- ensure that any money that flows through the chain, uh, you know, we're doing our level best to, to deliver the best return back to the advertiser. I think there's another aspect to this as well, which is the, the loss of publisher data. And publishers mm-hmm. over, over time have accepted a lot of code on their pages, which has slowed those mm-hmm. pages down and created a worse user experience. Uh, and one of the, one of the core uh, elements of Ozone is that the technology exists on a server. So we're trying to reduce the amount of code that sits on our pages. And mm-hmm. as soon as you put a pixel of a piece of technology on the page, you're effectively giving away all of the data which is such a proprietary and valuable asset, you, you, you're giving it away and it is sold, repackaged, and as soon as it's left your estate, you have no, no control over where that goes. And so a, a longer term ambition for Ozone is to regain control of who has access to that data and to make sure that it's valued appropriately. Okay, and what about ad fraud? That's obviously another big issue, uh, big risk to advertisers. Um, what the publisher? What, what, what do you do at the moment? You talked touched on this. What are you doing to mitigate against ad fraud? And what will the ozone project be doing that goes further than what you're doing individually at the moment? I think we're all involved in ads.text, which is a huge movement. You know, to to ensure that it's much much harder to be fraudulent with the inventory that you say you're buying. If you're buying the Guardian, the Sun, the Times, Telegraph, you know, ad, ads.text goes an awful long way to yeah. cleaning that up. And I'm sure we've all implemented that code on our pages. Um, in terms of ozone. Well, I think it depends where that goes. And the, if you look at ads.cert, which is just, uh, I don't know where we are with that yet. I know, I know it requires uh, the, the next iteration of the real, real-time bidding protocol to come into effect. But one of the values of Ozone is that we can move collectively on that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So when there is an industry initiative to clean things up, when the IAB Tech Lab releases something like ads.cert, we can embrace it. And again, by doing that collectively um, and, and together, it means that we can drive standards, can drive adoption much quicker and support industry initiatives. And that's certainly an ambition of, of Ozone, is to work collaboratively with industry bodies who seem to have got a lot more active in this space in the last couple of years. But it's actually very difficult for them to get this kind of thing off the ground. And you could look at the ID space as well, so the, trying to have a consistent identifier. Again, that's something that, that Ozone can support. And we talked about how as those as those initiatives emerge in the ID space, we can we can move very quickly. But, 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 but that's one of the principles of the Ozone project is to create a trusted mm-hmm. marketplace for buyers to come and interact with. Um, because at, at the moment, you know, you, you've got agencies creating their own lists of sites, you sure. know, or you know, or, or, you know, and going into the open open marketplace. Um, we, we are all kind of held to a common standard. Um, in terms of how we approach brand safety and fraud. So you know by working with the Ozone, you're going to get a very similar experience in terms of that return. Okay, and just one thing I didn't touch on, you're all 25% stakeholders. So if people join, does your stakeholding dilute or no, how does that work? No, we're, we're, we are, you're, you're absolutely right that we, between the four of us, we share the ownership equally because we've all put in that capital investment. Um, but if people join now, they'll be customers of it. So we are we are the founders, we are the owners. The, the, the people who partner with us now will just be customers. That's great. Thanks very much, Hamish, Paul and Ben. Uh, do stay listening next week when we've got more topics and more fantastic guests on the Media and Marketing podcast.